0: Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors' Training Institute are made possible by Voice Pods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. law. People v. Crespo, decided October 16, 2018. Difiore, Chief Judge The right to self-representation embodies one of the most cherished ideals of our culture, the right of an individual to determine his or her own destiny, People v. McIntyre. Indeed, the right to represent oneself at trial is guaranteed under both the New York state and the federal constitutions. This right, however, is not absolute. The timeliness of the request, among other things, is a prerequisite under both federal and state law and the commencement of trial is established as the point at which the application may be denied as untimely as a matter of law. Here, prior to opening statements, but after 11 jurors were selected and sworn, defendants sought to invoke his right to proceed pro se. As set forth in the seminal case of People v. McIntyre, there is a three-prong analysis to determine when a defendant in a criminal case may invoke this right. 1. The request must be unequivocal and timely asserted. 2. There must have been a knowing and intelligent waiver of the right to counsel. And 3. The defendant must not engage in conduct which would prevent the fair and orderly exposition of the issues. This appeal relates to the first prong, specifically, we must consider whether defendant's request was untimely as a matter of law because it was made after commencement of the trial. We hold that, in conformity with the statutory scheme set forth in the criminal procedure law, the jury trial has commenced when jury selection begins. Accordingly, the trial court's determination that defendant's request to proceed pro se, made near the conclusion of jury selection, was untimely was not error. 1. On January 21, 2013, defendant and the victim exchanged insults inside a restaurant, which led to a physical altercation. Defendant, who was apparently upset after losing that fight, obtained a knife from his co-defendant, initiated a second confrontation and stabbed the victim. He was arrested while attempting to flee the scene. By indictment filed February 11, 2013, defendant was charged with attempted murder in the second degree, assault in the first degree and criminal possession of a weapon in the third degree. On October 17, 2014, after conducting a suppression hearing, the trial court denied the motion to suppress both the bloodstained clothes seized from the defendant incident to his arrest and the knife recovered from the scene. The court also advised the parties that the trial would begin the following week, telling defendant that t. he first stage of the trial is picking the jury that will decide your case. During that appearance, defendants assigned counsel advised the court that defendant wanted a new attorney and that if new counsel was not assigned, defendant did not wish to be present at trial. The court informed defendant that he was free to hire another attorney but that the case, which was close to two years old, would not be delayed any further. The court also advised defendant that it was in his best interests to attend the trial but that, if he chose to absent himself, the trial would go forward without him. After a colloquy in which defendant expressed his dissatisfaction with his counsel and stated that he was not going to speak with him, defendant refused to come to court. The court stated for the record that defendant was voluntarily absenting himself. The court adjourned the matter to the following week for jury selection. At that appearance, defense counsel asked to be relieved based on defendant's continuing refusal to speak with him. The court denied the request, explaining that it had no reason to believe defendant's dissatisfaction with counsel was rooted in anything other than the realities of his case. The court then had defendant produced in order to fully explain his right to be present at trial. The court adjourned the matter until the next day to permit defendant to confer with counsel, but defendant refused to do so. On October 23, the parties began jury selection in defendant's absence, selecting and swearing 11 trial jurors. The following day defendant voluntarily appeared and, for the first time, asked to represent himself. The court rejected defendant's request to proceed pro se, telling defendant that it was too late to make that request now in the middle of trial. In response, defendant maintained that he wanted to advise the jury of his dissatisfaction with defense counsel. The court told defendant, if you are going to tell me that when I bring the jury in you're going to jump up and disrupt the court proceedings and say he is not my lawyer, I am not going to have that. When defendant confirmed this was in fact his intention, the court excluded defendant from the courtroom and stated that it viewed defendant's conduct at this stage of the proceedings to be simple manipulation. The parties then completed jury selection and proceeded to opening statements. After several trial witnesses testified, the people requested that the court conduct an inquiry under the second prong of McIntyre into defendant's level of education and his understanding of the law, i.e., whether defendant's waiver of the right to counsel would be voluntary. The court refused, observing that there is no point in allocuting him because I am not going to let him go pro se even if I find he is able to do that at this point. We are in the middle of a trial. The court also expressed skepticism as to whether defendant would be able to comport himself in an appropriate manner, as required under the third prong of McIntyre. Each day, defendant chose to remain in the holding cell rather than appear in court and, as a result, the trial was conducted in his absence. The jury returned a verdict convicting defendant of assault in the first degree and criminal possession of a weapon in the third degree, but acquitting him of attempted murder in the second degree. The appellate division reversed, on the law, and remanded for a new trial. Rejecting the people's argument that a timely request to proceed pro se had to be asserted prior to jury selection when the trial commenced, the court cited McIntyre for the proposition that defendant's requests to represent himself were timely as they occurred before opening statements. The court then concluded that the trial court had violated defendant's right to represent himself by summarily denying defendant's timely requests without ascertaining whether they were knowingly or intelligently made. A judge of this court granted the people leave to appeal and we now reverse. 2. As noted above, People v. McIntyre established the standard by which the right of a criminal defendant to conduct his or her own defense is considered. In McIntyre, the defendant asked to represent himself uh, a FTER the jury had been drawn but not yet impaneled. The trial court made a brief inquiry into the defendant's background and also elicited from the defendant that he believed defense counsel was very competent. The court then denied the request based, in part, on the defendant's outburst of misbehavior, which we described as either exhibited in response to the court's ruling or provoked by the trial court's abusive manner in conducting the inquiry of the defendant. The specific issue presented in McIntyre was the sufficiency of the trial court's inquiry into whether the defendant's waiver of the right to counsel was knowing and voluntary, as well as the trial court's consideration of the appropriate factors in that regard, including the defendant's behavior in the courtroom. In the course of determining that the trial court's inquiry had been deficient, the court explained that, as a general rule, a pro se application is timely interposed when it is asserted before the trial commences, a point when a thorough inquiry can be conducted without causing significant delay or confusion in the trial proceedings. We emphasized that, after the trial has commenced, the defendant's right to proceed pro se is severely constricted and will be granted in the trial court's discretion and only in compelling circumstances. Nevertheless, the motion to proceed pro se in McIntyre was not denied as untimely in the trial court and on appeal was deemed unequivocal and timely having been interposed prior to the prosecution's opening statement based upon the Code of Criminal Procedure (CCP). Although this court decided McIntyre in 1974, the defendant's judgment of conviction was rendered in June 1971 when the CCP, the precursor to the corporal, was still in effect. Under the CCP, the trial began with opening statements and did not include jury selection and was accordingly used by McIntyre as the basis for the demarcation of when a trial commences. By contrast, when the corporal took effect in September 1971, a different starting point was established for a jury trial. The corporal provides that a jury trial commences with the selection of the jury and includes all further proceedings through the rendition of a verdict. Likewise, Corporal 260.30, which sets forth the order of a jury trial, lists the selection and swearing of the jury as the initial stage of the trial. By contrast, a nonjury trial commences with the first opening address. Thus, under the Corporal, while the commencement of a nonjury trial continues to be at the point the people begin their opening statement, the commencement of a jury trial has been advanced by the legislature to the start of jury selection. The statutory definition of when a trial commences provided in Corporal 1.20-11 is a modern and common sense view of the practical realities of a jury trial and is consistent with our case law defining the parameters of the criminal trial as defined by the corporal in other contexts. In People v. Antimarchi, we recognized that a defendant's fundamental right to be present at material stages of the trial under Corporal 260.20 is violated by his or her absence during the questioning of prospective jurors during the impaneling of the jury. Clearly a material stage of the trial includes the jury selection process wherein prospective jurors' backgrounds and their ability to weigh the evidence are explored the holding in Antimarchy that jury selection is a material stage of the trial represented a dramatic shift away from customary and established procedure. We have also held that a defendant who absents him or herself after the commencement of jury selection has absconded after the trial has begun and has therefore forfeited the fundamental right to be present at that trial. Similarly in this context, our consistent interpretation of the commencement of trial for purposes of asserting the right to proceed pro se, as beginning with jury selection, is in keeping with the purpose of the corporal which, in combination with the penal law, has been carefully designed as an integrated framework for the effective administration of criminal justice. We reject defendant's argument that since there may be different interpretations of the exact point at which jury selection begins, reliance on the corporal definition that trial commences with jury selection is an unworkable gauge. Defendant maintains that, if jury selection is indeed the starting point, the entire jury must be selected and sworn before the trial is deemed to have commenced. However, courts are governed by the principle that we must interpret a statute so as to avoid an unreasonable or absurd application of the law. Here, the statute we interpret is plainly stated and elevates the fundamental importance of jury selection as an integral part of the trial, a status not reflected in defendant's argument or in the distinctly archaic CCP Corporal 1.20 11 states that the jury trial commences with, not after, the selection of the jury. In addition, Corporal 270.15 provides that jury selection begins when no less than 12 prospective jurors are placed in the jury box and sworn to truthfully answer questions about their qualifications to serve as jurors. This rule is clear and relatively simple to understand, particularly to trial lawyers who fully appreciate the overarching importance of the selection of each individual juror who will be tasked to determine the guilt or innocence of the accused. To the extent that a motion to proceed pro se is made after jury selection has commenced, when the right to proceed pro se is severely constricted, such application may be granted in the exercise of the trial court's discretion. Our conclusion is also consistent with federal case law, which treats pro se applications made after the start of jury selection as untimely. The Second Circuit has held that a defendant's motion made just after the start of jury selection is made after the start of trial. Notably, in Ferretta v. California, the timeliness of the defendant's request to proceed pro se was not at issue, but the Supreme Court described the request, made weeks before trial as having been made W. L. before the date of trial. Based on that broad reference point, federal courts have held, in the context of habeas review, that it was not an unreasonable application of federal law to deny a request to proceed pro se as untimely where the request was made, as potential jurors were, on their way up to the courtroom, or after jury selection was nearly complete. So too here, we hold that, in accordance with McIntyre, a request to represent oneself in a criminal trial is timely where the application to proceed pro se is made before the trial commences. The criminal procedure law defines the commencement of trial as the beginning of jury selection. Where 11 jurors had been selected and sworn as trial jurors before defendant's request to proceed pro se was made, defendant's request was untimely. As a result, there was no legal error in the trial court's determination that the request to represent himself was untimely and in its denial of such request without further inquiry. Accordingly, the order of the appellate division should be reversed and the case remitted to the appellate division for consideration of the facts and issues raised but not determined on the appeal to that court. Order reversed and case remitted to the appellate division, first department, for consideration of the facts and issues raised but not determined on the appeal to that court. Opinion by Chief Judge Fiore. Judges Stein, Garcia and Schenkman concur. Judge Rivera dissents and votes to affirm in an opinion, in which Judges Fahey and Wilson concur. Judge Feynman took no part. Decision Podcasts by the New York Prosecutors' Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at Nipt Law. www.nypti.org slash law.